defense good, offense not so good. That's how I'd sum up week one. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. He was in Washington where the Cardinals dropped a 20-16 decision to the Commanders. Our first impressions of Josh Dobbs as QB1 and a defense that excelled on all three levels. Plus a surprise award at the end of the show. You're not going to want to miss that. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 671, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a five. He's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. So before we begin, Paul, are you dry? Have you recovered from what was a very unusual day of weather in our nation's capital on Sunday? I mean, it was cloudy. There was some rain in the third quarter. And then sunshine in the fourth quarter. Totally cleared up by the time we were doing the post-game <laughs> interview. So, yeah, that's the way it worked. Uh, diff- definitely brought the rain suit. Didn't make that mistake. Probably should have digitized all my notes. Paper was a bad choice. Uh, so, my notebook. I mean, come on. It's week one and I've already waterlogged my notebook. Not cool, but uh, we're going to try and survive in advance. You would have thought at this stage of your career, being the veteran sideline reporter, that you would have figured out how to keep your notes dry right. or even a tablet yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, you think tablet. Uh, the problem is, you know, you have to be able to sort of jot stuff down, and you can only do it really with one hand. So if you're typing, it just, uh, whatever, I'll figure it out. And so, uh, you know, here we go. Here we go. Let's see what my recall is. Forget the stinking notes. This isn't one of those tests where you can refer to notes. Let's As go. Larry Fitzgerald always liked to say, champagne problems. Yeah, exactly. All right, 20-16 to 16, the final. Cardinals lose at the Commanders. They had the lead going into the fourth quarter. And let's – Touch on that and the bright spots in the game. I think there are a number of bright spots when you talk about the defense because that was the biggest question that I had answered going into week one, and it was specifically what kind of defense, what kind of pass rush, would they be able to stop anyone as far as in the secondary, but just affecting the quarterback. And I get it. It's one game. It's Sam Howell making just his second career start. But, Paul, the seven sacks – the consistent pressure, whether it was the D-line or the outside linebackers, that to me was the biggest positive takeaway of week one. You're not going to have a 20-sack guy, obviously. So what do you do? You bring guys in in waves. You use a rotation. And every time somebody gets a snap, they have fresh legs. They have that hunger because there's basically a competition going on during the game. You would think by the time you hit the regular season, okay, jobs are won. Not so much, at least not yet. There were a whole bunch of different guys getting in at different times in the game. And so when you do get that rep, guess what? You're going to bring it. I think it also serves to change things up for offensive linemen who might get locked into one edge rusher over the course of a game and can learn a guy's moves or the speed at which he's going to come off the edge. But now if you have a Dennis Gardeck, Coming off, you know, and another rep, it's Zayvon Collins. And yet another rep, it's the rookie B.J. Ojolari. These are all vastly different body types, different skill sets. And so I think it provides 
a bit of a moving target, a, a curveball of sorts, and it's hard for an O-line to get locked in. There was production across the board, and you mentioned Dennis Gardeck because he did not get the start. And again, when you look at who starts and who doesn't, it's basically just the first snap of the ball game, and then the rest you're just looking at snap counts. But when you do look at snap counts, Gardeck really stood out two sacks, and he only did it in 28 snaps. Zayvon Collins was on the field for 42 snaps. That was the most of any edge rusher. But a Cameron Thomas, 26 snaps. Victor Dimukeji, who did get the start opposite Zayvon, 25 snaps. And then B.J. Ojolari checked in with just 17 snaps. So this is, or excuse me, 12 snaps. So this, to your point, Paul, the rotation, because, yeah, you want Zayvon on the field maybe more just because of his ability, as we saw, dropping into coverage on the interception. But as far as getting a rotation, as far as giving that offensive line or a tight end a different look to where they don't know what you're going to do. And I thought it was very impressive, at least for the first week. And we saw different defensive schemes being dialed up by Nick Ross. That was the big question. All right, how aggressive would they get? To what degree would they blitz and bring numbers? Jonathan Gannon was 70 sacks as defensive coordinator as Philly last year. Guess what? Didn't need to blitz. They were so talented in that front seven. So we saw different schemes, and we saw Nick Rallis get aggressive at different times. But again, going into this game in particular, the mantra was Sam Howell. Do not let Sam Howell get outside the pocket. Keep him in that pocket. Make him read and react. Make him diagnose and deliver. Cardinals were adamant internally that, you know what, we keep him in the pocket. That's in our best interest. So what happened? He got after the Montez Sweat force fumble there at the end of the third quarter to start the fourth quarter. Sam Howell on third and goal from the six gets outside the pocket, and he rumbles into the end zone. Other than that, they did a pretty good job of keeping him contained. And I expect to see a lot more of the same going forward. I thought an underrated guy in the defense that just – he balled out just by the fact we didn't mention his name, Keetrol Clark. Yes. Did he not play every single snap? He and Marco Wilson played every single snap, and that secondary locked down Terry McLaurin, who only had two catches, targeted four times, and was a basic non-factor in that game. Terry McLaurin most definitely did not wreck that game. Had the 37-yard defensive P.I. He, he drew that was part of the that opening drive where almost all the yards were via penalty and, and they got into the end zone there. But otherwise, he, he did not go out there and destroy a six-round rookie. And just by my eye, Keetrell Clark was on 17 a lot in that game. Uh, I'm dying to ask Jonathan Gannon how it played out, if he'll actually give us the information. <laughs> How many times, because Jonathan Gannon told us on his weekly TV show game plan, which is every Friday night on 12 News 630, he said there's going to be different times at different points in the game where the two corners are going to be man, and there's going to be times where they're going to get help over the top. So I'm curious how often, especially as that game went on, and they they got to trusting Keetrell Clark more and more, I believe, he was really sound in his technique, and he was running stride for stride. I was trying to keep a half an eye on him, especially when 17 was to the Cardinals' sideline, and very impressed for week one. In fact, I don't think you really saw another corner out there, did you? Because when they go with the, went with a fifth DB, it was almost always Kayvon Wallace. He was huge, but as far as we look at the cornerbacks, 
Antonio Hamilton had five defensive snaps. Christian Matthew did not play a single snap on defense, but Kayvon Wallace, really the unsung hero, if you will, defensively, someone who just arrived. But, yes, he's familiar with Jonathan Gannon. He's familiar with Nick Rollis. He's aware of that Eagles defense having played there. How much is that Eagles defense now here in Arizona? But Kayvon Wallace, 50 snaps, two passes defense, seven tackles. He didn't get a sack. He didn't get a turnover. But that's a player to keep an eye on because when they do run three safeties and put Jalen Thompson maybe more towards the line of scrimmage in the slot, it was Wallace who was back there with Buda Baker kind of playing, oh, hey, the Isaiah Simmons role that was supposed to be for Isaiah. He's gone. We'll see him this week. But Kayvon Wallace comes in, and I thought played excellent. Yeah, he was definitely instinctive on that one pass breakup. That was nearly a pick six. I mean, he was that close. The whole sideline simultaneously cheered and groaned because he was that close to picking that ball off. And he gone if he would have had his hands on that one. So you saw the instincts. You saw the ability to break on the ball. You saw a guy who could read a young quarterback. And those were all things you did not see with Isaiah Simmons. You just didn't see that sort of natural safety, playmaking ability out of that position. So this coaching staff knew what they were doing when they traded him away and when they brought in Kayvon Wallace, and that was huge. I mean, of all the waiver claims, of all the additions made after that initial 53 was announced, yeah, number 22 to me was the biggest. Overall, defensively, three takeaways, six sacks, seven passes defense, one play allowed longer than 20 yards, 77 total net yards allowed in the second half. And the defensive line, we weren't sure what that rotation was going to be, but everyone who was active had a hand in that game, whether it was a sack or batting down balls at the line of scrimmage. Even that entire front seven, four of the seven passes defense were recorded by the front seven. Mm. And if you can get a consistent pass rush, affect the quarterback, then yeah, you can lean and maybe not be so worried about your defensive back your cornerbacks covering a Terry McLaurin or a Jahan Dotson for two or three or four seconds because the quarterback doesn't have that much time and that was the big worry going into this week and this season how do you defend or how do you stop the quarterback from just sitting there in the pocket like we saw in the preseason game when Patrick Mahomes basically could do whatever he wanted against the Cardinals and again, sort of like the outside linebacker spot, you don't have a first-rounder sitting in there. Well, L.J. Collier in particular, but you have a rotation much like the outside linebacker. So whether it was Carlos Watkins, whose name got called a lot, Jonathan Ledbetter ended up with a half-dozen tackles as a defensive lineman. Wolf and Pash called his name out a lot. You know, you saw L.J. Collier and, and Kevin Strong was in there quite a bit. So you're keeping those guys fresh. You're bringing them them in in waves you're going series to series and once again they're competing internally as well as against the opposing offensive line and at least that's the philosophy right now now if someone really continues to stand out Jonathan Ledbetter ends up being you know a guy who establishes himself as an absolute you know starter and and, and a performer who merits that sort of uh you know snap count game in and game out okay but until then Nick Ross, I think, is just going to keep everyone fresh. And what did Jonathan Gannon tell us during the preseason? He said, if you're going to get a uniform on game day, you're going to play. And true to his word, that, that really stood, especially that front seven. 
they, they really honored that mantra, no doubt. It was Buda Baker, Keetrell Clark, Kaiser White, Marco Wilson. Those were the four players on defense that played every single snap. Jalen Thompson missed one snap on defense, but then you saw that rotation defensively and keeping guys fresh so that offense and the offensive coaching staff can't get a bead on what Rollis wants to do. And I didn't I'd have to go back and rewatch, but I know Wolf likes to talk about okay, what constitutes a blitz? And I don't know how many times we actually saw more than five Cardinal defenders rush the quarterback. Because if you can consistently do it with three or four, now all of a sudden you've got seven six extra guys on the back end no doubt and let's if you want to talk about the defense let's go back to early in the game and the Kaiser white flag because that was about 10 yards away from me right on the Cardinals sideline and man that got physical right <laughs> I mean a rooting and a tooting a whomping and a stomping and there's Kaiser white and he's got beef with Washington because he's played him twice a year during his uh, seasons with the Eagles and they know each other very well but it's what that play said and you know what it said to me? Going back to week 18 of last year, James Conner at his locker, one final game to close out that season at the 49ers, and someone asked James Conner, what are you playing for? And his answer was, and I quote, some respect. So are the Cardinals going to be necessarily making a playoff run this year? That would defy a lot of doubters if they did. But they're most definitely, at least based on game one, they're playing for respect and they're not going to go out there and take and, and and lower themselves to the expectations that have put out been put out by others nationally. So if there's an expectation by the opponent that this is just going to be a walkthrough and this is going to be semi preseason, I think the Cardinals early in that game delivered a message. No, no, uh, there will be a game. Uh, you know, we may not win this game, but we're certainly not going to get punked out here physically. I can accept that. The Kaiser White penalty, the Jalen Thompson penalty, both were the same. Lowering the head to initiate forcible contact is what it's officially called. I can understand that. I'll accept it as long as we don't see it this week, next week, the next month. Because, And I'll give Gannon credit postgame because he's talked about being violent, being aggressive. His players took it to heart. Yet at the same time, you have to be smart because those were legit penalties. You have to be smart. But if there was a message, and maybe it was because it's Kaiser White, former Philadelphia Eagle, hey, watch me, learn from me, follow my lead, okay, I don't want to see it ever again. I think there are a couple other mitigating circumstances. It was week one. They're trying to send a message, right? You're going to – you're going to get a little emphasis, points of emphasis from the officials. It was early in that game. They didn't want to let it get out of hand. To Jonathan Gannon's point when he said it's on him, I wonder if he's also referring to the fact that he's used the phrase violent football a lot. The tweet went out with the video, I want killers. So that whole narrative is out there. Maybe that's in part what Jonathan Gannon was referring to. You can't tell me that officiating crew wasn't well aware of everything that we just cited, and so they tried to get a, get a handle on it early. And then combined with the fact that Kaiser White hit the quarterback, <laughs> and we know how it works in reality yes. in the NFL, thou shalt not hit the quarterback too hard. If you do, even if it's clean, you will get flagged up, and that's what happened. All right, you bring up the quarterback. Let's talk about the Cardinals quarterback, Josh Dobbs, making his debut. We get the confirmation pregame because he's taking first-team snaps with Yelda Froholtz, 
And I'll say this, as good as the defense played is about as bad as the offense performed, at least to me, because it was not good a lot of the times. Sustained drives were not there, settling for field goals rather than touchdowns in the red zone, and just the, I wouldn't say bad penalties, but when penalties occurred, and there were nine which were too many, but the two offensive penalties in the second half, Trey McBride, false start, a second and five becomes a second and ten, and that drive stalls. Will Hernandez, ineligible man downfield, negating Jeff Swaim's 16-yard catch and run Ouch. that would have put the ball at the Washington 39. That yep. play ends in a fumble. So there were things that cost the Cardinals as far as keeping the offense on the field. But overall, Dobbs has to be better, especially if you want him to be your guy until Kyler comes back. Got to be able to move the ball up and down the field. Got to protect the football. Three turnovers, or to say three fumbles, two lost fumbles. And again, it's week one. He's been here two weeks. So as I said with Kaiser White, I'll give you a pass here, but you better be better week two. I thought he looked better when he was on the move at the end of the first half. When he had those two straight completions to Trey McBride, those were both sprint outs, rollouts, naked boots. He was on the move, and he just looked more comfortable. And the accuracy was better. He hit Trey McBride in stride right between the numbers on both. There was a 10-yard and a 13-yard in that sequence. So that was interesting. I thought he looked better in that sort of usage than just standing tall in the pocket, where he can tend to have a little bit longer wind-up. The accuracy obviously isn't always there. The downfield passing game definitely wasn't there. What, they have one pass completion of 15 air yards or more in the game. So that was lacking. But at the same time, the game plan, in talking to some people, you know, to a large degree was, okay, look, they have this world-class defensive line, and these are big dudes who love to bull rush. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get them on the move horizontally. We're going to go sideline to sideline. That's why at times you saw a lot of the shotgun. You saw a lot of the bubble screens. You saw them working up and down the line of scrimmage laterally because they were trying to get those guys on the move, wear them out, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, and then hopefully in the second half it would pay off. And for a while, that game plan was working. And then you had the two fateful fumbles in the second half, which were very decisive. But until then, that was the thinking, and I thought it was paying off. And then again, you saw Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and then Montez Sweat. They also, they also amped up their game. In that third quarter, they made a few second half adjustments. Cardinals had less than 100 yards total offense in the second half, only three points. Obviously, some of that was because of the turnovers, but that was the thinking. And so now you're like, okay, um, if Josh Dobbs lives up to what he told the media after the game, where he says, uh, quote, I think a huge jump is in store. I can definitely make a huge jump, and I expect to make a huge jump, especially situationally. All right, but if he doesn't, and you get to halftime of this Giants game, I'm just saying you're going. I'm just saying if you get to halftime in this Giants game and you have three first downs and you have one field goal, what do you do if you're the Arizona Cardinals? Now, plausibly, you could put in Clayton Toon in the second half. I'm not saying it's going to make a world of difference and it's going to be night and day black and white. What I'm saying, you could do it looking for a spark, a catalyst to see what you have in Clayton Toon, and then viably just stick with Josh Dobbs the next week as your starter. It was just, okay, Second, we went to the bullpen for the second half. You can get away with that. 
Doesn't mean he's never going to start again. If you were to do that, it's at some point against the Giants. The Cardinals cover two just morph into Cardinal talk because wouldn't you know it, Paul, myself, Ken Summers, that. you open up the phone lines oh, after that yeah. and immediately, Josh Dobbs, okay, it's why isn't Clayton Toon playing? Why did we trade or why did we get rid of Colt McCoy's? Okay, well, that discussion you can't have because there was no discussion of that when the initial news was released. But I understand why that is a question. And I'm curious now. I, by the way, I am 100% behind Josh Dobbs being the starter at week two and being the starter until Kyler comes back. I don't think you part with a fifth-round draft pick and then after one game, as bad as it was at times, you pull the trigger and go with your backup. Because if that was the thinking, why just, just why not just play Clayton Toon out of the gate and you keep that fifth-round pick and you have Colt McCoy or Jeff Driscoll or David Blau as your backup? So that that's not where I'm heading. I'm curious, though, if we get the game that Jonathan Gannon played last week with the media this week – and maybe until Kyler comes back, because you know it's going to get asked Monday, it's going to get asked Wednesday, it's going to get asked Friday when Gannon addresses the media, who's your starter? Does he make an announcement or say, we'll see? It's part of the plan. Because I do think Dobbs needs – the players in the locker room will know what's going on. But to quiet the noise around this team, locally, especially locally, I think Dobbs needs that – I think that 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 not of approval, if you will. He's my quarterback in this discussion. Well, here's the thing. Can you continue to avoid the quarterback question and make it a question all the way up to kickoff of week two without it becoming a certified distraction? So now if the media is in there and asking all the pesky little questions in the locker room, oh, geez, Josh Dobbs, you know, and then it morphs into not whether he is going to be the starting QB, but does he deserve to be the starting QB? So that could be a fire that goes from one alarm to two alarm to four alarm by the time you get Friday and you know could become somewhat of a distraction. We'll see what the head coach decides. I hadn't really thought about it, but you're right. There's no absolute certainty that he is going to answer that question anytime soon, at least to begin the week. If it was a competitive advantage, quote-unquote, last week, then why couldn't it be deemed as such this week going against the Giants all I know is Zach Ertz after the game said, and I'm quoting now, we're learning together. We've only been together for two weeks. So obviously that's pointing to Dobbs. This should be the worst performance we have as an offense. Okay. And you know what? You might have played the best defensive front you'll see all year. Now, the Niners might have something to say about that with Nick Bosa and Javon Hargrave. Dallas might have something to say that. They are really deep in the trenches along that defensive line. Look what they just did in Jack stomping the New York Giants. But, yeah, that, that could be the toughest test the Cardinals' offensive line has all year long going against, even minus Chase Young. And, and, yes, Chase Young is a talent, but he's the fourth-best defensive lineman at this point on that commander's roster. And I think what you said earlier about that front four and the game plan going in, we didn't see a lot of that downfield passing game because you can't really do that against this defensive front. The game plan initially early was to utilize the speed on the outside. The top two offensive plays, the end around by Hollywood Brown and the bubble screen, the wheel route to Rondell Moore. Those two plays accounted for 60 yards. Wow. The next 56 plays run totaled 150 
yards. Wow. So it worked early, and then why didn't it continue to work? And again, credit Ron Rivera and the Washington staff for changing things. But then the run game, James Conner, I thought, needed to get more carries for whatever reason, whenever Connor came out for a breather, Keontae Ingram comes in and his first four rushing attempts, he's getting losing yards, yeah. major yards. And that was the other thing, the number of negative plays. You start feeling a little bit of momentum, things are going well on a drive, and then there's a sack or a play that loses a yard or two. 14 of the 58 offensive plays lost yards. That's almost a quarter of your offense going backwards. That's normally a stat we don't cite. So I'm trying to have some perspective on that. But the fact we don't cite that very often tells me that's a huge number. 25% has to be a huge number historically game in and game out. So what was responsible for that? Was there less attention on trying to go straight ahead, as you mentioned, and we talked about trying to go sideline to sideline and wear out that front? Is that just kudos to the Washington defensive line for all those tackles for loss I'm not exactly sure I do know the Cardinals struggled on third down they were only 4-14 red zone obviously was a problem you know that Zach Ertz oh man that that was a touchdown Zach Ertz told the meeting afterwards yeah that's a catch I got to make was it the most catchable ball absolutely not that's something I don't know if Josh Dobbs can get better at from week one to week two when he says, I think a huge jump is in store. I'm just going to surmise that the receivers would probably be in favor of a little more catchable ball on target a little bit. I think he has enough arm talent, enough arm strength is the accuracy there. For example, Craig, if you did go to Clayton Toon, I think there would be better accuracy. Just saying. Um, But you would obviously lose all the experience that Josh Dobbs has and – so when you look at what happened in that game that was really instrumental, critical, and in ultimately pivotal, so the two fumbles, lost fumbles, he caused, he cited one as the wet ball, not going to have that problem at home against the Giants. Otherwise, he didn't turn the ball over, although you could argue that there were three passes oh, yes. that easily could have been picked off. So how do you calculate that? How does that figure into the equation, the decision-making? Like you, I fully expect Josh Dodds to be the starter against the Giants. But you know you are monitoring. You are monitoring, and once again, you're a brand new head coach, and the only entity you have to answer to is your own locker room. And if Josh Dobbs puts an inferior product out on that field for the first half against the Giants, three quarters against the Giants, and it's a tight game, like any other position on the team, it's subject to another player coming in if you haven't earned that playing time. So it's definitely merits watching, put it that way. I'll agree with that. I just don't think you make that decision to change a quarterback this early in the process. But I certainly understand it. It is a viable conversation to have. It's a viable question to ask. I do hope, though, that with another week of practice and those high throws, now you figure out, okay, Zach Ertz, is it because of the ACL-MCL injury? doesn't quite have the jumping ability just yet, or that deep throw to Michael Wilson. Was it an overthrow? Or Excuse me, it wasn't an overthrow, but it was thrown short. Was that a back shoulder throw, or was that just a lack of reps to a rookie out there? But as you mentioned, anytime a receiver gets two hands on a football, they'll always tell you, I need to be able to make that catch. That's definitely that that one at the goal line, Zach Ertz. That was tough. That that's that's a catch. The second one was more catchable yep. than that first one in the end zone. 
it just, uh, you know, I, I was right there. I was right in front of me, and I can just tell you the sideline reactor like, oh, man, that's that's a catch historically Zach Ertz, Pro Bowl tight end, makes. That, that was a touchdown waiting to happen. At the same time, he was a little late on the throw. And what did Jonathan Gannon say after the game? The one thing he said that was sort of substantive about Josh Dobbs was, quote, we got to get it out of our hands a little quicker. So that was definitely part of the equation. Now, how much of that is because guess what? You're buffering, to use a Josh Rosen term, in the offense. Uh, how much of that had to do with the Washington scheme? I don't know. Remember, that was only his third career start, only his ninth career game action ever for Josh Dobbs, who's in his seventh season on his sixth team. So it's not like he's the most ultra-experienced quarterback in this league. He's not Colt McCoy in terms of experience coming in. And with that in mind, you would hope that this jump, this, quote, huge jump that Josh Dobbs cites that he expects in his own play in week two, I think a lot of that has to do with the ball coming out quicker. Because you have Dexter Lawrence in a pretty potent defensive front by the New York Giants. And there were times where I think the Cardinals offensive line expected the ball to be away. It wasn't. And it cost him with quarterback hits and pressure. And that might be because the two times that an offensive lineman was flagged for being ineligible downfield, that, again, the inexperience working with the quarterback, does the ball need to be out quicker? And is that Josh Dobbs thinking because, okay, this is what my read is on this particular play. I don't quite know the playbook as well as I want to, so I'm a little bit slower in my decision-making. Again, all things to look that need to get better this coming week. And you talk about the Giants, their defense. Well, it's going to be a very angry Giants team that comes into State Farm Stadium as they get, in your words, jack-stomped by the Dallas Cowboys, 40 to nothing. And then you have the Cowboys coming to State Farm Stadium the following week. So there's not really a quote-unquote soft landing for a rookie to come in to make their first career start behind center. So that would be something I would also consider when you're talking about, okay, is it time to make a change because Kyler's not quite ready? All right, what are we comfortable with that quarterback and who's that quarterback facing across from him yeah let me make it clear I'm not in favor of starting a Clayton tune against Dallas's defensive <laughs> front the Niners defensive front I'm not there there's no Cincinnati the week after Aaron Donald and the Rams you might be looking all the way to like week seven Seattle and you know that league worst rush defense from a year ago and they didn't look much better no. yesterday trying to stop Cam Akers So I'm definitely not in favor of that. The only time I would be in favor is if the offense through two or three quarters is really struggling. And then you need a little bit of a boost, a bit of a catalyst against the Giants defensive front. We'll see. We'll see how the game plays out. I'll say this. Sam Howell is the worst quarterback the Cardinals are going to face until you see Atlanta and Houston on the roster in mid-November. You're going to run the gamut of some pretty darn good and least highly paid quarterbacks coming up here, including Danny Dimes, who looked nothing. I don't know what's going on with that Giants team and what they put on display out there, but if it has something to do with Danny Dimes getting his 40 or $50 million per and the Giants not paying Saquon Barkley and making all that drama, and if maybe somehow that has divided the locker room in some way, uh, I don't know, but they looked like a shell of that playoff team that got a playoff win a year ago. I'll go back to what Jeff Rogers said last week going into week one. And I'm paraphrasing, week one is full of surprises, both good and bad. And you look at the Cardinals' defense, that was a surprise in a good way. 
the Giants overall, that was a surprise in a negative way. And I think in between is where the Cardinals offense and Josh Dobbs are because as bad as it looked, there were some moments. And again, if you can stay on the field, convert on third down, don't turn the ball over, don't shoot yourself in the foot with a penalty, and we see the offense sustain a drive that is seven, eight, nine plays. I think the longest drive was the scoring play to begin the second half. That was 11 plays, but only totaled 56 yards, and Matt Prater kicked his third field goal. You have to be able to move the ball and get some chunk yards. I want to see some chunk plays, and we saw them in the first quarter, but after the first quarter, they were non-existent. Again, I would get Josh Dobbs on the move a lot, especially in this game where their best defensive lineman by far is that interior guy, Dexter Lawrence, right? I mean, he is an absolute wrecking ball through the A-gap. Get him out of there. Get Josh Dobbs on the move. He's very accurate when he's on the run, the boots. He's a very athletic quarterback. He has these SEC rushing records as a quarterback, along with some other luminaries like Dak Prescott and Tim Tebow and Johnny Manziel. You look at SEC history, he's one of the most productive running quarterbacks. So, I think he's just more comfortable with that. And then maybe that allows him to run to one side or the other and only have to scan half the field. You sort of narrow things down, simplify it for him in some of his reads and progressions as he's still learning this offense. I'll say this, though. When it comes to surprises in week one, there's one more, Craig. Oh, boy. And it's something that – By the way, this is radio, so make sure you paint the picture. So I'm I'm holding (laughs) in my hand a stuffed animal that that as we cleaned out – the closets for the young punks at Casa Galvisi, it's an angry bird. And I put a mini Cardinals helmet on it, and the yellow beak is sticking through the face mask. It has a chin strap here. So Snap it up. Yeah, there you go. Every week we're going to go with the Angry Bird Award, Craig Grillo. Okay. We've decided that this will honor the most hellacious play or player. If you go ahead and you look up the definition of hellacious, it's uh, defined as exceptionally powerful or violent, remarkably good, extremely difficult the guy that fits every one of those checks every one of those boxes would be dennis gardak our inaugural winner of the angry bird award craig grelu as dennis gardak the barbarian went out with a couple of sacks three quarterback hits he had the tackle for loss he had the forced fumble that resulted in the scoop and score by cam thomas right cam and then he also had four tackles and when he hit the strobe the entire sideline responded by hitting the strobe as well it was almost like some sort of vegas show where they all was like line dancing and so the whole thing was a sight to behold and for that he gets our angry bird award dennis gardak after week one well deserved now the question is are you presenting this to dennis gardak because if you are then we need to get a picture and start posting these week to week i already have caitlin our very capable <laughs> professional photographer save me from my own lack of photography skills as you can see on twitter uh, she's going to take an actual real photo of this and we're going to tweet this out so this will be a social media okay. award craig because uh, quite an- honestly we don't have the budget <laughs> to fund 18 of these okay so um well we don't have any budget at all actually i didn't even get permission for this on cover two so i don't even know if you're on board with this there may not be a week two winner. I'm not exactly sure. But as of right now, the one and maybe only winner of the Angry Bird Award is Dennis Gardak. No, you've got my approval. I, I like it. Uh, I'm on board with it. And uh, once again, just uh, extending the Paul Calvisi brand uh, amongst the Arizona Cardinals content and creative team. You know, just yet uh, another way to celebrate a Monday, uh, something to you know alleviate uh, whatever you're feeling on a Monday coming off the weekend. And something, there aren't many things to look forward to on a Monday, maybe in a small and I do mean small way, this could be something. Maybe. I like that. 
The Angry Bird Award. There okay, you go. Okay, well, this is yep. now something to look forward to, even after yep. a loss that we experienced yep. week one. So what happens one week from today? And I think, yeah, this this might be something. And no wagering either. I don't want any wagering. <laughs> I don't want any betting on who's going to be the recipient of the Angry Bird Award. You're not going to see this up at the BetMGM Sportsbook. It's, there's no lines on this, okay? So please, uh, you know, people, just uh, play along. And, uh, you know, if you disagree – uh, forget my Twitter account. Just just phone in to Cardinal Talk with uh, Craig Grillo oh, and just add that to your laundry list of complaints. At Paul Calvisi right there. <laughs> so this is good. I like this. And we'll keep doing it week in and week out. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Paul Calvisi, and the Angry Bird, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2. Ding!